0: super talk mississippi media production find your new ride at Kia macomb's all new location at the corner of i-55 and highway 98 come find out why macomb loves Kia macomb at the corner of i-55 and highway 98
1: right on the corner right on the price howdy howdy it's rhino here and i wanted to say thank you for listening to middays with gerard gibbert here on super talk mississippi
2: Everyone and welcome to midday super talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. On this hump day, yes, it is. It is a hump day across uh, these United States, and here in the great state of Mississippi, lots of stuff going on. In the country, in the state, in the world, we got non-stop supply of content these days, Rhino. And normally with the legislature not in session, we're sort of looking for stuff to talk about to talk about, but uh, so much stuff.
1: And on top of all of that, what's this weird moisture that's
2: coming from the sky? Very weird. a rarity around these parts certainly in the last few months. No doubt about it. Well, yesterday the president decided to lift the lid that was imposed on Monday uh, and come out and talk to the people. happened just as we were getting off the air. And he did, uh, I give it to him, he condemned the Hamas attack on Israel called it a, quote, act of sheer evil. It has left more than a thousand civilians dead, and I think that death toll continues to rise. Fourteen U.S. citizens, so they're trying to figure out what to do from an American response perspective. And the Israeli military looks like they're poised to go to war big time. I just wonder, is the old squad still calling for them to stand down? No,
1: they've been out of shape because somebody found a video of a teenager in New York saying something mean.
2: Oh, what's that all about? But I can see it.
1: Yeah, it was some punk kid saying basically, wipe Palestine off the map, we need to get rid of all of them, blah. <laughs> he was saying some stuff you can't say on the radio. Okay. But... Yeah, now pretty much everybody in the squad has retweeted that video going, See? See? We're right. You shouldn't like Jewish people because this one person on video in New York. It just shows how stupid they are and how stupid you are if you buy into what they have to
2: say. Do you not feel like that once Israel, especially ground forces, begin to mobilize and respond and fight, It's almost inevitable that there are going to be civilian casualties. It's just a a function of war. Well, yeah,
1: when Hamas sets up their headquarters in the bottom floor of a hospital, that's going to happen. Right.
2: And and using civilians as human shields, that's their M.O., that's their approach to war, because they're barbaric, despicable humans. So you know what we're going to see is video, of course, reports of the idea of the Israeli forces that are, of course, doing their job to take out, to roll over the terrorists. But they're going to be civilian casualties, as you point out, when you set up shop, as they have, with these civilians Acting as a human shield, it's virtually impossible to avoid it.
1: I mean, does anybody remember the story of the AP offices getting hit? That's true. Because they were in the same building as terrorists?
2: That's right. But we're going to see these videos and these reports. You're going to see it all over the place. In an effort, just as you were talking about with the squad... That um, rebuked this kid, I guess. You're going to see the same thing happen with Israel. And all of a sudden, they're going to be held as the bad guy. No doubt about it. That's what they so desperately want. It's
1: because the average Democrat voter has less of an attention span than a goldfish.
2: (laughs) You know, just an observation here for the people here, for the folks that I, I started thinking about. It seems like this all started with the Barack Obama apology tour. When you got the U.S. president parading around the world apologizing for American exceptionalism, he was really him. Uh, I feel like really he who who just gave life to, energy to, this whole America's evil, wicked, wretched. It just started there, and it's taken shape since then, and snowballed since then.
1: That's exactly what I was thinking of, is the cartoon where the guy at the top of the hill drops the pee, and it starts rolling downhill and turns into this gigantic monstrosity of a snowball.
2: It just feels like that's what's been going on since, since he took office as the president. And that, of course just amped up uh, this insanity on our college campuses. I think
1: I... But you s- can't speak ill of His Majesty Barack Hussein Obama, well,
2: that, that makes you racist. That's right. If you if you offer any criticism whatsoever, because he's a black man, that is considered racist. How do we ever get out of this? this endless chase-your-tail cycle that we're in, where everything is distilled down to race and gender.
1: By telling the screaming little children throwing constant temper tantrums to
2: sit down and shut up. <laughs> uh, it does feel like that's the case. Uh, and that's the only way to stop this madness. But I see where the we, – we discussed this yesterday – this group – Uh, Justice for Palestine. Students for Justice in Palestine, I think, is the formal name of this group. They're planning a day of resistance to celebrate anti-Israeli violence. This is coming up, I believe, on October the 12th. It's tomorrow. Tomorrow. At least six of these SJP chapters have announced campus events on that date. Arizona State, University of Arizona, Butler, University of of, uh, Louisville, University of Binghamton, and University of Virginia. But there are expected that more will uh, join in these protests. Here's Here's a tweet The George Washington University Students for Justice in Palestine, they posted this rather lengthy statement in support of an international terrorist organization, Hamas. This is crazy. They say (laughs) decolonization, oh here you go again, is a tangible material event in which the colonized rise up against the colonizer and reclaim control of our own lives, say the George Washington Students for Justice in Palestine. It is the culmination of our people's undying will towards liberation. I just really feel like this all started gaining traction when Barack Obama took office, it's like he emboldened and he, he called attention to this idea that this country and its allies, of which Israel is arguably the most reliable and the strongest. And so now we have campuses across this country poised for protest tomorrow in support of terrorists. I don't know if you guys saw the uh, the video, which has gone somewhat viral, of a reporter who is trailing Rashida Tlaib. You know who she is. She's the one that proudly displays the Palestinian flag outside her office as a member of the House of Representatives. This is in a federal office building, which is which houses. Members of Congress. What'd you say? She's got that right next to the pride flag, right? Oh yeah. No, no trace of an American flag, right? So I saw a reporter. Uh, this video of this reporter just asking respectfully, "Hey, what do you think about the reports of the civilian atrocities, including beheading of children and brutal, gruesome attacks of?" old people in tormenting and killing parents in front of their children. She would not comment. She would not make a statement. You would think, just out of sheer human dignity and respect for human life, you'd at least say, this is atrocious. This is abhorrent. Nothing! Just buzzes right past her flag into her office there, Palestinian flag. Oh, man. We've got Jordan Nico coming on the program to talk about uh, the impact of cruising the coast on the restaurant business on the the Gulf Coast. And then Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element West.
0: Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his
2: classified
0: documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. We're in the Element Wealth studio. Are you thinking about or planning for a retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to MyElementWealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth find your balance between income, growth, and and guarantees. We got some tickets to give away later on in the program today. I think that's right. And we'll get to those. Uh, that's for the Township Blues Festival, scheduled for November the 11th. Oh, me. so yesterday I shared with you guys this... Facebook post from old Robert Reich, as Rush used to say, and he's calling for an end of Columbus Day and for the holiday to be relabeled as Indigenous Peoples Day. And what's fascinating, as always, is reading the comments from those who agree with Mr. Reich. And It just seems so silly to me that we're so tied up, consumed with, obsessed with that sort of stuff, when you consider the myriad of issues that face our country and our world. Words seem to have a higher priority, Mm -hmm. get more attention than bullets and bombs, you know, things like beheading children and locking them up in cages like animals. Which is what's happening, by the way, in Gaza. Well, the University of Nevada in Las Vegas, well, they had a picnic scheduled, sponsored by the law school's environmental law study. But they got a lot of backlash for using the word picnic. And they have renamed it to lunch by the lake. That's due to diversity and inclusion concerns. You see it seems that often 19th and twentieth-century lynchings of Black Americans occurred in gatherings that could be referred to as picnics. I gotta tell you, I never heard of that before. You ever heard of that before? Picnics? No. Well, I have. I've heard that
1: lunacy try to be espoused, but it's actually false. Okay, so it's the word picnic is derived from French. Makes
2: more sense to me. Picnic. <laughs> That does make more sense. Well, <laughs> Ferris State University's David Pilgrim, curator of the Jim Crow Museum of Racist Memorabilia. It's like being upset at sandwiches, <laughs>
1: That's because true. Hitler once ate a sandwich. <laughs> it's the stupidity of the circular logic <laughs> of the loony leftists.
2: Well, Mr. Mr. Pilgrim, who curated the Jim Crow Museum of Racist Memorabilia, says it's possible someone used the word picnic to refer to lynchings, but for what we know for a fact, that's not where the word picnic came from. And this guy's the curator of a racist museum, just like you said. So the. <laughs> The Environmental Law Society publishes this big old letter about this. In light of recent information regarding historical and offensive connotations associated with the word picnic, we have chosen to rename our event to Lunch by the Lake. The Environmental Law Society strongly, this is in all caps, in bold and underlined in the letter, promotes diversity and inclusion, and we sincerely apologize for any harm or discomfort the initial title may have caused.
1: How dare them have lunch (laughs) by the lake? Don't they know Putin eats lunch? That's true. (laughs) See how stupid these people
2: are? So we're apologizing for the word picnic. That's how insane and loony this stuff has become. We're apologizing for that. Unbelievable. It truly is. Meanwhile, out there in California, we shouldn't be surprised at this when I came across this report. California has signed the Ebony Alert into law. This is a new alert system which will prioritize black and brown children and cannot get this now, cannot be utilized to help find missing white children. In an attempt, of course, to pander to radical racist senators, the governor, Gavin Newsom, approved this crazy legislation. So their, their justification for this is that white kids get better media coverage and amber alert benefits than black and brown kids do. You ever heard that before? That sounded crazy. If I were a liberal, I would
1: be offended right now. Why is that? because I vividly remember sitting in this chair breaking down when we found out Kingston Fraser lost his life
2: when we were looking for him. Yeah, exactly. So I'm looking at the logo, Ebony Alert, and it features like a silhouette from the side that you can tell I think it's supposed to be a, uh, a black female with kind of a, a fro-afro hairdo in a, in a haircut, in a ball on top the head, atop the head, which, which you see lots of children, uh, black children, style their hair that way. Somebody out there right now probably thinks I'm being racist by even describing it this way, and I apologize. Hell, I don't know what is right or wrong in their view. Well, this know. isn't
1: even children. This is 18- to 25-year-olds.
2: Okay. Because
1: children are covered by an Amber Alert.
2: Okay. Well, they're saying they don't get enough coverage, so we got to have their own. But that's the circular
1: logic of the left. The fruits, nuts, and flakes that make up the population of California.
2: Uh, this is this is uh, hurting hurt my, my noggin. Is this not racist? Is this not discriminatory? A generation ago it would be called that. But not today. No. So... Looking through, of course, some of the comments on this, this tweet, someone says, I mean, I think trying to call attention to just how crazy it is, how brown does the kid's skin have to be to trigger the alert? Is there like an app that helps you design decide? Maybe a Munsell chart? I mean, it's a legitimate question, is it not? Someone says, this is racist. I don't know anyone who thinks prioritizing a child's disappearance by race is okay. Is this like affirmative action for a missing child?
1: No, you used the correct word when you first introduced it, pandering.
2: That's what it is. And you know who's behind it? White liberals. It always is, isn't it? They're the most loony people in the whole damn country.
1: Because they're more worried about feelings and words than reality. No
2: doubt. And, and for what it's worth, here at home, when we're facing a rather contentious election for governor, here in a month, less than a month, Commissioner Brandon Presley, running as a Democrat, he cannot disassociate himself with this crap. He can try, but I'm here to tell you, he's a member of this party. If he didn't want himself associated
1: with them, he shouldn't have taken their money.
2: I totally agree. And you guys may have seen the reports, the uh, finance reports were published yesterday. he hauled in a bunch, I think $4.8 million, if I'm not mistaken. But half of that or so came from the Democrat Governors Association. Does that matter to people, all this money coming in from out of state? Because you know what they're looking for? It's something in return. They always are. Well, in this case, it's people like this that I just described in California. Because you're talking about a governor of the largest state population-wise in the country, Gavin Newsom. This is a law signed by him. So now, uh, what happened to this concept of we've got to unite and we've got to just sort of of look past all these physical attributes and recognize we're all in this together. We're all one big happy American family. What happened to all that?
1: That makes it so much harder for the left to grift, so they just abandoned it. (laughs)
2: That's true. They lose their opportunity to grift. That's exactly right. We're stepping aside for a break right here. We're in the Element Well studio, just getting started. Once again, we've got uh, Jordan Nico coming on to talk about the restaurant industry and how cruising the coast affected them. That's coming up at 11.05. Jeremy Nelson, Element Wealth at
0: 12.05. Bring the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Back everyone. It is a middays. We are live in the Element Wealth studio and once again Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth, will join us at 12:05 today, but before that, Jordan Nico, owner and president of Nico Restaurant Group, talk about how cruising the coast has an impact on the restaurant industry, certainly on the coast. Also, Mr. Nico is a, a developer. So we look forward to that conversation. Uh the deficit has uh, been calculated for 2023 looks like it came in a little below my expectation. I predicted 2 trillion it came in at a paltry 1.7 trillion. But that is because there was a reversal of Joe Biden's student loan debt forgiveness. And uh do you remember that by the Supreme Court they said no you can't just do that with the a swipe of a pen and so I had that baked in. So that's out. It's only 1.7 trillion. Don't get upset. Good grief. So let's let's look at the numbers for Joe Biden, year 1. He's been in 3 years. He's completed 3 of fiscal years. Year 1, 2.8 a trillion. Year 2, That would be the fiscal year ending 2022. 1.4 trillion. Stay with me. Now we're at 4.2 trillion since he's been in office. And then fiscal year 2023 comes in at 1.7. So last time I checked, when you do that math, that comes in at uh, just under 6 trillion, right? $5.9 5.9 trillion to be more exact 5.9 trillion the CBO estimates 2.2 to 2.3 trillion next year and that will certainly put him at around the eight trillion dollar mark of deficits under his watch this guy's still running around Rhino bragging about cutting the deficit I, I cannot comprehend it That's like looking at your bank account seeing that it's underdrawn oh, pardon me, overdrawn in the negative with a negative sign on it. Here's your balance. It's got a negative sign in front of it. You know what that is. When do they teach you that? Kindergarten? First grade? Something like that. I think it's a little later than that, but yeah, it's still elementary school. Positive and negative, you start learning that concept sometime in elementary school. What's negative, and you look at it and say, oh no, I've got a million dollars. Pay no attention to the math used to compute that balance—that's just wrong. Unbelievable. Uh, so, but this is uh, this is what's of note. Many times on the program, we've talked about the the composition of federal spending and what's driving these deficits and debt, and then in the context of what's going on in washington right now probably the biggest issue on the table is we got to elect a speaker of the house of representatives the former speaker kevin mccarthy having been removed from the chair last week early last week means we got to elect another one and so a lot of the the fracas about that was the eight republicans who wanted to remove Mr. McCarthy, were upset about how the House conducts its business vis-a-vis spending. How does it appropriate money? The crazy thing is, they only appropriate money for roughly 30% of the total budget. And of that, Republicans are pretty much of consensus that they should not reduce the half of that 30%, which is defense, leaving only the other half, which is all the non-defense discretionary spending. And McCarthy made that point. You know, only got roughly 14, 15% of the total federal outlay to even work with here. Cut every dime of it. Still not enough to really significantly dent the deficit. But, We've reported here on the program that, look, the drivers are in the mandatory spending. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, the plethora of federal assistance programs, and then, of course, a big pot of money goes to paying interest on the debt. Here are the numbers there. Social Security grew by 11%. Medicare grew by 18% interest payments on the massive federal debt grew by 33%. $177 billion of additional interest relative to 2022 paid by the federal government. So let's say that these we get a new speaker, and we will. Looks like it's Likely to be either Representative Steve Scalise from uh, the great state of Louisiana, the Pelican State, or it could be the Buckeye State of Ohio. Representative Jim Jordan hails uh, from the Buckeye State. One of those two likely to emerge as the Speaker. First order of business. Got to go fund the government. We, of course passed a continuing resolution. That just means keep all the spending exactly where it is to keep the government open for some period of time. In this case, the period 45 days puts us early November. We're back in this pickle again. In the meantime, they're supposed to be negotiating spending bills through what's called regular order. That really just means that there are 12 sort of subject matter bills, if you will, that address all this discretionary spending, such as defense, such as some of the other agencies in, in government, Department of Justice, Department of Treasury, EPA, Labor, Interior, go down the list, State Department, all the agency complex, what, what is often referred to by President Trump as the swamp, He's right to a great extent there. They're supposed to take up these sort of limited subject spending bills through the committees and figure out how much money to appropriate to fund those functions of government. Well, they can do that, and let's say they come out with some cuts. I don't think you'll see any to defense, but let's say they come out with some cuts. Well, in terms of addressing the deficit, they won't even come close to reducing the deficit next year because while they're cutting that part—Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, debt interest—all going up on autopilot. Can't can't touch it without sixty votes in the Senate. Uh, just imagine that you're you're standing on dry ground with a with a big wall in front of you that's holding the water back, the dike, and there's a leak over there in the discretionary spending, and you put your finger in it and say, okay, I stopped that, now it's going down. Uh Uh-oh, but it's leaking over here from the stuff I don't have any control over without 60 votes in the Senate. And of course, uh, a complicit president that uh, goes along. I mean, that's the exercise that's going on. It's just like trying to plug the dike with the leaks exceeding the number of fingers you got. That's where we are. So I would just caution the people that, all right, maybe you're on the side of those who wanted to replace the Speaker because you're upset about this spending badness. I'm with you. But I just caution you that, okay, we get a new Speaker. We go negotiate 12 spending bills still not really making a dent in the true problem and you can't reduce the debt start to take the debt down until you eliminate the deficit you're just digging in a hole further so the cbo said the exact totals of revenue for the year 4.4 trillion spending 6.2 unbelievable Unbelievable. Well, we'll see where all that goes. I just caution people, don't don't get too optimistic about, man, we're going to get a new speaker and they're going to come in and fix all this stuff. Not really. They're not dictators. And if you think about the process everything's got to go through to really start getting control of this spending madness, man, it's just a tall order. It just is. I'm all for it. I want to see it happen. I want to see them get in a room. And start talking about what the heck to do with the runaway spending and Social Security and Medicare, Medicaid, all the other aspects of government. I'm all for it. But, man, as soon as you bring it up, uh, it's like kryptonite to Superman. I can't talk about that. I won't get reelected if I even talk about that. Right. So you're you're making sure it's not there for future generations by ignoring the problem. We're coming right back with more in the Element Wealth Studio. Good
0: days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super talk, Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Why?
2: Back in the Element Well studio. It's middays and we appreciate you joining us. So, just watching uh, the television here, the news says that Israel has warned the people, it just says in the north, to take cover, take shelter, be prepared. You know, one thing I, I think we could conclude about Benjamin Netanyahu. Netanyahu. Yeah. I get a little tongue-tied saying that word. Um, When he says something, I think he means it. I think he carries it out. I don't think he backs down. You agree? I think he's a pretty serious dude. I really do. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Oh, boy, that's a tough one to say. Uh, Harvard students that we were talking about earlier. 31 societies. Why do you have 31 societies on a campus like that, that all have their little causes, right? What is that all about? Well, all 31 of these, well, that's not all the societies on campus, but at least 31 organizations, of course, blame Israel for the Palestine War. Well, I was so pleased to see that Bill Ackman, billionaire hedge fund manager He says that he wants everybody on Wall Street to know who these students are, who signed off on this letter, who endorsed this statement. Because he don't want them to be hired. I love it. This is awesome. The CEO of Pershing Square Capital Management said he has been approached by a number of CEOs, adding, quote, one should not be able to hide behind a corporate shield when issuing statements supporting the actions of terrorists, who we now learn have beheaded babies. You know, there's a lot of people that are in a state of denial. You've seen that. No, that didn't really happen. Kind of like these people who still don't accept and acknowledge that the Holocaust existed. Now they're saying, oh, we need more proof. We don't know that happened. No, there's there's proof of it.
1: They're they're nitpicking it, saying, well, they didn't behead 40 babies. No, they killed 40 babies, and some of them were beheaded. Does that make you feel better to nitpick that? Unbelievable.
2: Well, I'm proud of Bill Ackman. Or, or can we say nitpick, or is that racist oh, too? Oh, I'm sure it's racist. Well, I tell you what's racist is that Ackman said he's blacklisting them. I'm quite sure that's grounds to be canceled right there, isn't it? <laughs> what was it, The uh, one of the schools? It may have been Stanford. Their IT department issued a language guide. <laughs> Remember that? Because there's a lot of terminology in my old world of IT, apparently, which is deemed racist by some, such as the configuration of master-slave storage uh, environments. Can't do that! Blacklisting insecurity. <laughs> oh my gosh, but I'm proud of old Ackman here. I really am, and he's he's getting this message to all his his uh his cohorts there on wall street saying don't hire these people he's demanding that that um harvard release the names of these people so they can make sure they don't slip through this is great i love it i really do i
1: mean it's already hurting the uh employment futures of some because i think it's a law firm in washington yeah they found out one of their summer interns that they had already offered employment to, who's a law school student at Harvard, yeah. signed off on one of those statements, and they're saying, well, uh, hope you enjoyed your summer, because you're not coming to work for us.
2: Unbelievable. I love it. Um, there it is. It was
1: Winston and <clears throat> Strawn, LLP, Winston Law, on Twitter.
2: This gave me a little hope, honestly, because it seems like we've, we've only seen reports where corporate America is completely aligned with everything that comes out of the left from a, from a cultural perspective. Are we starting to maybe see a little chink in that armor where they're coming back to their senses? You can't say that either. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Unbelievable, man, it really is. Uh,
1: The stupidity of the language, police.
2: (laughs) Well, I got another one I got to share later on in the program. It's a video that I caught of someone, an adult, a lefty adult, a woke lefty adult, who has autism. And used the word, and then later discovered that that is uh, not considered appropriate (laughs) in certain demographic circles and then went and made a video apologizing for it. We're we, we are so wrapped up with words. It's unbelievable. Picnic. <laughs> We're stepping aside for a break. That's because it is the top of the hour, and that means Fox News and Super Talk News. Jordan Nico coming back after the break. Stay with us. We shall return. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday's hour two of the program, live from the Element Well Studio. On this hump day, we're looking for uh, Jordan Nico, but uh, while we track down there, we'll continue with the discussion. So I, I had to bring up this uh, this craziness I saw from this autistic person that used a word. To describe themselves uh herself, actually. Well, I can't I, I can't um I can't say that. I don't know how they identify. I can't make that conclusion. It it physically looks like a female to me. But uh I, I guess I'm I may be getting out over my skis a little bit. The word is autizzy. I've never heard of that before. Autizy. And apparently, autizy is off limits because it is part of something I've never heard about. The AAVE, I think I want to make sure I get this right. It's called the AAVE. Yeah, African American Vernacular English. I didn't know there was such a thing. And this person and I don't know what it means in aAVE parlance, but this person, who again I'm going to go ahead and say is a female, use this word. We'll get to it later. We got Jordan Nico joining us now, owner and president of a Nico restaurant group. How you doing, Jordan? i doing great. How are you? Doing great. Glad we got all that technology worked out. So, of course, you guys are coming off a big week on the Mississippi Gulf Coast last week, cruising the coast. Uh, I hear that the retailers and uh, restaurateurs and others uh, along the Gulf Coast describe it as their Christmas, that it's a really a big time when so many people go to the coast, descend upon the coast, Enjoying cruising the coast. What a great event that is for the coast and for the state of Mississippi. And of course they uh spent a lot of money. So how'd it go?
3: It went great. Um, you know, this year was was actually busier I think than any year had been prior. The cruisers were awesome and you know, it it, it did really well with, with the extra long weekend on Monday, so, so cruisers stayed a little longer and yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. And yeah, we we were we we uh we we're very fortunate to have it but It's kind of like our last hoorah on the Gulf Coast until Mardi Gras next year.
2: Yeah, of course, Mardi Gras, big deal as well. So, But do you sort of see it that way as well, Jordan, that you could maybe describe it as, uh, as kind of a, a Christmas? I mean, most retailers, uh, a lot of retailers at least, do the lion's share of their business around, around Christmas, and in fact it usually equates to or exceeds the whole rest of the year Is, uh, now I know restaurants are maybe a little bit more limited because you can just seat so many and turn the tables over so many times, but do you find it to be the busiest time of year for you?
3: So, yeah, so I I would say when we look at Cruising the Coast, it it equals out to our July 4th weekend. Okay. Uh, and so I would say July 4th, that summertime weekend, or Cruising the Coast are our two busiest years, uh, well, sorry, weeks of, of the year. And, um, yeah, no, it's definitely an awesome experience and uh, great show. And and Woody Bailey does an amazing job putting it on every
2: year. And yeah,
3: very very fortunate to have him, and he's an asset to the Gulf Coast. And I think cruising, cruising, is an asset to the Gulf Coast, and it really helps our sales. because it kind of you know August, September, and January are, are the three worst months out of the year for for the restaurant hmm. business hmm. and retail business um, with kids going to school and and whatnot. And uh, cruising kind of. Takes us out out of the, the the slump from August to September and gets to us back going to, to the holiday season.
2: Wow, awesome! Uh, do you uh, how how are things going overall? I guess with the economy uh, on the coast, I think uh, your business, your industry is a is a pretty good reflection of that. How's it been going?
3: Yeah, so we've we've, we've been very fortunate. You know, our sales have not been affected by the economy yet. We're down a little bit in the, in the restaurants, maybe maybe 1%. Yeah. But I'll tell you, you know, July and July before that was actually our, one of our best years ever. Wow. We had, we had a, a weird August and September. And I think, the, truthfully, I think part of it was the economy. I think the other part of it is the fact that um, the, the schools swapped from going, you know, to, to the every nine weeks you get three weeks off on, on the Gulf Coast, I, I think throughout the state, a lot of schools changed over. Yeah, and I think that that kind of caught the people off guard, and have um, made it to where you know, you know, people ha- had to pay for all the, all those expenses at that time period. So they may, they may have cut down on restaurants and, and, and traveling a little
0: yeah. bit.
3: Um, but yeah, no. So I, I think it's definitely an issue. But I tell you, this year cruising was, was our busiest cruising we've ever had,
2: well, That's awesome. Wise.
3: So I, I think it's definitely the, the the coast is very fortunate to have it, and we're, and we're very fortunate to have the tourism that we have.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Uh any particular headwinds that you're 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 um being aware of and considering now, Jordan, for your restaurants, for the restaurant industry in general, are there are you still uh looking for labor, still struggling to get uh, your labor normalized, supply chain, inflation, cost of of uh raw goods coming to you?
3: So cost of raw goods coming to us is finally kind of plateaued. Um, we're not having the, the, the every three months having to raise costs or or, or figure things out or, or change menus because of you know just rising costs and goods. So we've we've been very fortunate that, that you know the I guess inflation has kind of maybe plateaued at least in our, in our industries. We're able to kind of set costs and, and start getting back to some type of normalized um, route. Yeah. Um, Employees is, is always the issue, and it was the issue prior to COVID, and I think it'll it'll be the issue going forward. You know, um, that that's that's always kind of been our problem along the coast and in any restaurant any is how do you you know keep employees, think everyone's make sure everyone's happy and and go forward. I think it's I think as far as headwinds, you know, a lot of the regulations that are starting to come in to to the coast from from the Department of Labor, I think have have started. I think restaurants a little bit to where you have to start changing things and making things add up, you know, to be able to offset some of some of the regulations that are, that are being put on to, mm. to restaurants from the Department of Labor. I think that's probably one of our our biggest issues that we see that we see throughout. But um, that's probably the only only headwind that that, that, I, that I'm seeing. So as far as the economy, I think we're all you know kind of. Waiting to see what's going to happen in in the world economy, which which will affect us in the next six months, with with everything going on and from from Israel and Palestine to U- Ukraine and Russia and even China and Taiwan.
2: Yeah, I've seen a lot of reporting, Jordan, about kind of some um, some paradigm shifts, I guess you could call it, in just the 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 whole concept of tipping. Is that affecting you in any way? And where do you stand on that? The whole concept of, of tipping. Tipping,
3: yeah. Um, so uh, what I will tell you is, so you know, in, in restaurants, there are a lot of restaurants that that will take uh, an employee's check for tips, and they'll put them, they put the actual checks, tips onto the check after a, a week or two, yeah. and and it just holds that. We find that that our that our servers want to have that cash at the end of the night, so we we pay it out to, to our servers okay. at the end of the night. But yes, I, I do think it, it, it is changing. However, you know, I've talked to some other other people in, in our area who have who have gone to a flat rate where the servers in the back of the house, chefs, etc., all make the same amount of money, and then the tips are shared. Yeah. Uh, the, the issue comes comes into, and I, and I think this is a similar thing is that you know that that fluctuates. So most of our back of the house, they want to have a set rate that they can rely on, while the servers can tend to do better than the back of the house but they, yeah. they they get paid that night. And so I think that is one of the, you know, changes, but I I'm not sure that'll ever be a change unless it's federally regulated because I think the servers end up making better and the back of the house want the steady check. Yeah. So I, I haven't seen that change. The change that I have seen is is that, you know, as a tipped employee, if you work more than thirty minutes at the restaurant when it's when it's not open you need to um, be paid minimum wage, which is which would be seven twenty-five, right? And not and not and not two thirteen. And so that that is a, that is a change that happened. Um, I guess between well, from 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 the flip from Trump to Biden. Yeah. That, that, that that you know not everyone was was aware of, and I think that that's been a, a new change, not a new change, but a, a change that, that has affected the tipped tipped industry. And I think we're we're working. To, we're, 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 we're we we had change to change through that. And who you knows so if they will change, change back or not? Whenever, whenever the next election happens. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm not seeing a change from employees warning the back of the house wanting to be tipped. I guess there, there are some restaurants in bigger cities where you'll you'll see a percentage of, of the check going to the back of the house to so help offset the um, the. Salaries in the back of the house. We we have not done that yet, and, but I have seen other restaurants do that. Gotcha.
2: We got about twenty seconds left. You got any new restaurants yeah. on the boards you're thinking about?
3: Oh, so we're opening up. We're we're actually opening up a uh, new sushi restaurant in Bay St. Louis. Uh, we're very excited about that. Okay, um, and, and we're going to be expanding into doing a big outdoor bar. And uh, Biloxi, oh, it, it'll be right in front of the It'll
2: be really awesome. Very, very cool. Excited, hopefully for next year. Very cool. Appreciate it, Jordan. Good luck to you, man. Sounds great. Thanks. Yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio.
0: The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it.
2: The Who bumps us into this segment here? It is middays. We're in the Element Wealth studio today. Jerry and talk on the ceasefire text line. That's the 601 879 4395 says, I saw where Brandon Presley got $3 million from a PAC in Washington. If he gets elected, what do they expect of him to repay that? I uh, don't know, Jerry. Um, what the expectation is, if any, anything we would say would be complete speculation. The uh, public service commissioner, running as a Democrat for governor, did release a couple of of uh, press reports here that uh, where he's touting, honestly, that he raised five point six million dollars in the quarter, breaking a twenty year fundraising record, I think, for a Democrat in Mississippi. And, uh, yep, this is the most money any, this is what the press release says, this is the most money any Democratic gubernatorial nominee has raised in state history, breaking a 20-year-old record held by then-Governor Ronnie Musgrove. He raised $7.7 million for his campaign in '03. Brandon Presley has raised seven point eight million. So seven million eight hundred thousand, about five hundred thousand more than Ronnie Musgrove back in 03. Yeah, I I understand that as well, Jerry. I haven't looked at the detailed finance reports, but I think it's um the Democrat... Governor's pack, if I'm not mistaken, Rhino, that uh, made the big contribution into the Presley campaign, and that is what has significantly boosted his cash on hand, and of course they got a month left, little less than a month, I'm quite sure, that we're going to continue to see... Lots of campaign promotion and advertising with both of these high-profile candidates for governor having uh, funds available to invest in such. I think that's what we can expect to see. The last poll I saw showed Governor Tate leave Reeves with an eight-point lead or so somewhere in that neighborhood. I think that's to be expected. Haven't seen anything, I guess, in a couple of weeks, so I don't know if there have been any changes in that situation. But uh, what I continue to see out of Brandon Presley is a commitment to lower taxes for Mississippians, and more specifically, he doesn't really say this in his press releases, but what he has suggested he will do is cut the grocery tax, the sales tax on groceries, and perhaps even uh, the price of vehicle tax. Seen that. He also says he will expand Medicaid on day one. I don't know how he intends to achieve that because pretty sure the governor does not have the authority to do that on their own accord. They've also been running ads, you know this, to highlight the governor's role in the TANF scandal. However, they've got no facts to support that at this point. It's uh, complete hearsay, and it's um, allegory in nature. (laughs) Really... I don't get that, honestly. I mean, I understand the desperation to try to connect, because it did happen while the governor was serving as lieutenant governor. But I've not seen any empirical evidence. Have you? I've seen nothing. Just a bunch
1: of hit pieces by fanatical people that have had to apologize or risk being sued because they're
2: full of it. Yeah. The quote from the press release, Brandon Presley is the kind of leader Mississippi families have shown that they are ready for. He's ready to put state government back in the hands of the people where it belongs. Well, I mean, those sorts of tropes and platitudes always kind of drive me crazy because like that's like saying, you know, of course, I guess it doesn't even apply anymore. It used to be in the old days, you know, I like mom, God, apple pie in America. That doesn't even apply anymore, right, unfortunately. But uh, it's, I guess you could say, although I'm sure someone will argue that the sky is blue, but I'm sure there's someone out there that will argue the hue, right, uh, of the sky, what does he mean by that specifically, uh, and how will he achieve that from a policy perspective as, as the governor? I really don't get that. It, it, I guess it sounds kind of virtuous and noble, but it's, it really doesn't have any – it's not undergirded by any, any sort of concrete action, in my view other than I'm going to cut taxes, which again I think refers to no no mention that I've ever seen from Brandon Presley of cutting income taxes always refers to cutting sales tax on groceries. And, I
1: mean, it's a page right out of the Biden playbook. Make a big promise to the voting bloc that already supports you in the hopes that they'll just look past the fact that you can't do it unilaterally.
2: Yeah. And uh, you may have heard some sound in the background. That's because I clicked on the link where it says cut taxes, and that takes you to a YouTube video of Brandon Presley. It's 15 seconds, by the way, of Brandon Presley suggesting his support, indicating his support to reduce sales taxes on groceries. That's what that's all about. And then – what was the other one? They expand Medicaid. He always says that I'm going to do that day one. Though I don't see a path to making that happen, uh, because uh, yeah, and that too. By the way, sends you to a 30 second video. Wow, interesting. And of course, it's it features images of hospitals which have shuttered in the state. Uh, I. Completely agree. We've talked about it many times on the program that the healthcare system in the state of Mississippi n- needs attention. There's no doubt it does across the country. It's not unique to Mississippi. Our our challenges uh, may come in a different form, but the healthcare economy and the healthcare industry nationwide is problematic. No doubt about that. But it's disingenuous, in my view, to say that, oh yeah, I'm not only going to expand Medicaid day one, but that's, to my knowledge, is the only proposal he's made. And while strictly from a financial perspective, that uh, could certainly provide some degree of uh, assistance and address the, the financial challenges facing the healthcare industry in the state—it is not—we'll use the word again—a panacea. It is not a singular solution. Even some who have indicated support for Medicaid expansion have said that they have come out and said that. And, and here's the honest truth: it—it's a kind of the answer to that question is it depends. If you're operating, let's say, a hospital where you you're having to absorb a high number of patients who were receiving service and not paying, who otherwise would have paid through being a member uh, or covered by Medicaid if Medicaid were expanded, that's going to be uh, of more value to them than hospitals that don't have that problem. So it's an, it really is a case-by-case basis, which is why I've said... You know, the best thing you guys in the hospital industry could do to make your case for expanding Medicaid is provide us with a pro forma that says this is what my financial performance would have been in call it whatever year, use whatever year, fiscal year 2022, had Medicaid expansion been in place. Go through that financial exercise. Because right now, it's just people saying we got to do this without really the the data to support it, the financial data to support it.
1: I get the feeling if they did that, they would still wind up showing that they're not going to be making any more money.
2: I totally agree. They they may be a little better off financially, but will it completely close the loop on their cash flow negative position? I don't think so. Those that really have the biggest problem. We're coming right back with more. we got Jeremy Nelson coming in at 12.05. Stay with us.
0: Talk app. Is everybody ready? I'm, ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbett on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: In the town where I was born, lived a man who sailed to sea, and he told us of his life.
2: The Fab
4: Four.
2: That sounds like uh, when they were going through their (laughs) their mushroom-induced phase. There, Uh, the uh, looks like it's the Democrat Governors Association, best I could tell, contributed a big chunk to Presley's campaign. If I'm looking at this right, three million bucks from the Democrat Governors Association. More than a third of what Mr. Presley has amassed in political contributions. And the governor said, quote, ask yourself, why are they dropping historic money on Mississippi to flip it blue? It's because they know Brandon Presley will govern like a liberal Democrat. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I did note where the Sierra Club has donated $10,000 to Mr. Presley. Rhino, just put your mind at ease there. Um, I think the governor is right to link Mr. Presley to the Democrat lunacy going on in this country. I would. I think he's right in doing so. I think it's spot on. I think it's accurate. I think that if the expectation is... Yeah, we're going to give you all this money, but you can still be, let's just say, a moderate, if you are fortunate enough to be elected governor in the great state of Mississippi. I don't think that I don't see that happening. I really don't. I think, and you know, one of the reasons I don't right now, because I think he aspires to go even higher than governor. You're shaking your head. You believe oh, yeah. that? Yeah. And you know that if you. Kind of establish a firewall there if you were to be governor, your chances of ascending the ladder are none to zero. You're going to have to fall in line. Hmm. So he's got 7.8 million, almost 7.9, spent 6.8. Wow. So as of the end of September, 1.8 million on hand. I'm sure he'll raise more over the ensuing couple of weeks leading up to election. But interesting
1: going on here. He's got to be pumping money into into digital ads, because it seems like every YouTube video I pull up is him hollering at me, it's a crisis. <laughs> he does
2: do that. It's interesting you say that, because I, my wife had something on the television on a local channel last night, and that came up, and I was sitting there, I I got home from uh, an event, and it was a little late sitting in my kitchen while she was watching the TV, and I'm sitting at the table there eating, and it came up, and what, it's a crisis, I was doing the same thing. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we ought to have fun with all this, though. We got uh, a debate coming up, I think November 1st. Supposedly. Yeah. At this point, it's... Uh, it appears it's going to come up. Uh you know you could almost guess I think Mr. Presley in his sort of bombastic populist style is likely to attack the governor. It it'll get personal, I feel like and really really uh delve into this this theme he's been promoting of corruption. Um <laughs> Had bought flowers at the mansion or something like that. A lemon garden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I expect the governor will remain rather calm and composed, and I, I think he he may get him a little fired up, which I think is fine, honestly. Especially, here's where he'll get fired up. If Presley starts just lying, then the governor is, I think, going to get a little fired up and and rightfully defend himself i do expect that but i i'd like to see i think most mississippians would let's debate the issues and uh uh and, and the things that are on the top of mississippians minds uh, again i i just point out that the the path to really achieving a high quality of life here in the state of mississippi is uh by bolstering our economy. Just is. Absolutely is. And the governor has this keenly in his sights. He's constantly focused on it. I can say that because I've worked with him on it. And, I, and I've talked to him about it, and I know that. And Mr. Presley is, seems to be more about what Democrats usually are, which is just pandering to special interest groups. All right? I'm, you know, I see there's like one of the contributions is a black women for Brandon Presley contribution. Why has everything got to be identified like that? I, I just don't. And I guess you get described as a racist if you don't comply with that idea, that concept, right? You can't do that anymore. And I don't know why. I just I don't look at people that way. I don't think most Mississippians or Americans do, except those on the left that want to divide everything into these neat little buckets like they attempt to do.
1: Yet we, such is the stupidity
2: of intersectionality. And that's exactly what's going on. It's like this person I described earlier that's gone to, to uh, social media to produce a video where they're apologizing for using this word "autizzy." I don't even know what the hell that is. Describing herself as an autizzy, and says that that somehow conflicts with the, the uh, African-American vernacular English. I didn't know there was such a thing. You're shaking your head. You're oh, yeah. Aware, it's got right? a whole Wikipedia. Oh, geez. Somebody but said that. But adding
1: Izzy to the end of something was, I don't know if it was coined, but it was popularized by Snoop
2: Dogg. Okay. Well, somebody said that. Who said that on our C spired text line that that was probably produced by Snoop Dogg? I didn't know that. Yeah. It means apparently Snoop Dogg wrote the language book on the C Spire text line. I thought for
1: certain they were going to have been diagnosed with Asperger's, and they called themselves having Asperger's, and somebody got offended because you can't say you have Asperger's anymore. That's offensive, (sighs) even though it was the diagnosis up until 2013.
2: Well, this person said she was not aware of this term being included in the African-American Vernacular English Guide. And she's apologizing. She said, and it's nobody's job to educate me but my own. Like you're supposed to go study (laughs) this language guide? What, are we supposed to teach every such guide and dialect in school now? Can't we just focus on what is widely accepted as the English language? We can't do that anymore?
1: It's not inclusive enough.
2: (laughs) Oh, I see. Man, I guess I really am getting old. I'm old school and have just old-style values. And you know what? I ain't apologizing for it. Not whatsoever. And she goes on to say, I did not know this. Please forgive me for using this word.
1: You know... This is the end result of political
2: correctness that started under slick willie and his demon wife. You're you're right about that. I mean that that really was the genesis. I simply point out that it was Barack Obama that I think got the idea going that America's just a terrible place. He he and his wife even you know she even said something. Remember that for for the first time in my life I'm proud to be an American. I don't remember what the event was that triggered her to say that. But that's disgusting, in my view. You're sitting in the White House, my gosh. So it, apparently, it's a term used by black autistics, so you can't refer – I'm looking at the video now, there's uh, – apparently that's what this person's saying, that it, that, that only is to be used to, to describe one who is autistic and also black. That's what she says.
1: But doesn't that fly in the face of self-identification?
2: Yes, because couldn't she identify as a black autistic person? Yeah. So, but felt compelled to go to, um, go to social media and record a video that says, don't want anybody to think I'm ignoring you. <laughs> that's what she said. This whole idea of being offended and triggered, that's the root of this crap right here. You know what offends and triggers me, I'll be honest with you, is when I watched that video at four o'clock in the morning yesterday that just happened across my social media feed, and it was toddlers, children, locked up like animals in cages. That offended me. I'm I'll just go ahead and tell you that. Please don't think I'm weak because I was overcome emotionally with sadness. I can't believe that even happens on this planet. People are so damn evil and wicked. Yeah. I took offense to that. And any red-blooded human person would and should that has any ounce of morality in their fiber. This crap here, no, that's not offensive. Man, oh man. Bullets and bombs are greater than words. The sooner we realize that, the better the place will be. We're coming right back with more in the Element Wealth Studio.
0: Sub. Middays with Gerard Gibbett. Yeah. Mm. Come on, let's get on with the show yes. on Super Talk, Mississippi. Yeah.
2: Welcome back, everyone. It's a middays. We're in the Element Wealth studio. Rhino's got tickets to give away later on in the program. Please explain why this is on the ceasefire tax line. Please explain why Brandon Presley can brag that he can cut car tag prices in half while he was mayor in Nettleton. I'm not aware that any mayor can cut car tag costs. Yeah, so um there is you know, there's a state portion, but it's it's minimal. And then um, there's the county. So that this is the way counties raise money. Municipalities get their money from, from uh, sales taxes. And also they do share in property taxes, ad valorem taxes. But for the most part, uh, counties, they get their money from property taxes and then car tax. And that's the bulk of the car tag price. So it is true that a a, a governor, and and, you know we've said that before on the program, Rhino, we don't know exactly what Brandon's talking about. Is he talking about working with the counties somehow to cut the full price of a car tag in half? Remember when that was actually discussed as an option during the income tax debate? But what we learned from that is that the state portion, which is what was being discussed, was, was nominal. I mean, like, nothing compared to the full price of the tax. Yeah, it'd save you like five or ten bucks at most. Yeah, and that was actually being discussed as, I guess, part of the package, but really didn't amount to a lot. So I don't know what Mr. Presley's talking about here, and i said that on the air many times. What are you talking about? Are you talking about cutting the full price of the tax? In half, or just a state portion? If so, okay, fine. That's you know not significant. And then, of course, if you're going to cut the grocery sales tax, remember that there are many municipalities who rely on that money for a large bit of their income, especially the smaller towns. You remember we've had a couple of mayors that texted us whenever we talked about it said, "Man, we that's our primary source of revenue in a small town. Grocery stores are the." largest retailer, typically. Everybody's got to have groceries. They may drive a little further to get to other sorts of retailers, but you're going to have grocery stores fairly close, locally, and, um, and that affects their income. So does that mean the state would cover that? Because they could. They could change the diversion to keep them whole. In fact, I think that was even proposed as part of the original income tax package, because it had a feature which was going to reduce the grocery sales tax. So uh, the point is we need details. There's, there's always, uh, as they say, the devil's in the details. We need details. When did politics become more about big money buying elections versus our single voting voice? I had this thought, this is Charles and Mathis, uh, this is on the ceasefire Tax Line, I've been thinking about that too, Sam Charles. Honestly, and and I tell you what's kind of brought it to my attention is I, I've attended a number of fundraisers for candidates whom I support. Uh, I'm not shy about disclosing that. And it and it's no doubt that we um, when you attend these events, it's no no doubt, and it should come as no surprise that the primary attendees they're lobbyists they're lobbyists with money that are looking to ensure that they're on the list, you know, that these candidates remember them when they come calling on them for whatever it is they're lobbying for. That's just how it works. Now that doesn't mean that they're discounting or ignoring the voters. They can't. They've got to have a message that appeals to voters to get elected. But I do think it brings up the question Well, how do we get the same sort of seat at the table as just a single voice voter, as Charles here points out, as a lobbyist who's in that Capitol every single day? And I'm not being disrespectful whatsoever to the lobbyist. I'm just sharing what the reality is. I personally go down to the Capitol a lot during the session. I'm not a lobbyist. I don't get paid by anybody to voice support or opposition to any policy. But I do care about my state and my country, and I share my concerns, um, or sometimes it's proposals or suggestions with members of the legislature, and statewide leaders as well. But it does take time, I'll agree, and I'm fortunate I have that time now, being retired and many times, Rhino knows this, after the show, I head straight down to the Capitol. And uh, just kind of check out what's going on. Talk to people. I sit in the gallery. But I get it. Everybody can not do that. I really do. Um, But there's there's some credence to what you're saying, Charles. I hear you, man. I agree. We are stepping aside for a break right here. We got Peter Frampton bumping us out of this segment with the famous George Harrison tune, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. We're coming right back. With Jeremy Nelson from Element Wealth. That's after the news. Fox News, Super Talk News is up next.
0: And now,
2: Welcome back, everyone. It is the afternoon portion of Middays Live from the Element Wealth studio on this Hump Day. Joining us now, Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth. Jeremy, always good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Always a pleasure. So uh, we got some news this morning. We'll kind of kick off our financial discussion. We got the uh, latest producer price index reading came in a bit hotter than expected.
4: Yeah, I mean, this is kind of one of the things that we continue to see is that across the board, you know, we've hit a level now where, you know, inflation is sticky, uh, and we're starting to, you know, we're seeing numbers that are just a little bit hotter and showing us that that the inflation is is here to stay at, you know, slightly elevated levels from where the Fed really wants inflation to be at. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the markets initially kind of shrugged it
2: off. You know, I watched this morning; futures were up. I mean, they did pare down a little bit. Now they're uh, in the red.
4: Yeah, I think I think the the futures shrugged it off initially because you're seeing the 10 year Treasury backing off a little bit. You know, some of that's just you know general demand. Once you saw the 10 year hit 4.8 percent, there was a little bit more demand for it. Uh, you had the Hamas attack uh, in with Israel there, so I think ultimately you know the the bid on the market was because rates were down a little bit yeah and so you know people moved a little into equities there but now people are looking at it going wait yeah this inflation it's it's sticky, Still sticky. it's not going away
2: but we did have uh i guess a a, a bit of an indicator uh, i believe it's yesterday when some of the fed officials said oh, we may be done suggesting uh with uh, a pause at least or a termination of rate hikes, but I wonder if that was just in response to the geopolitical strife in the in the world.
4: I I, I think there's an aspect of politicking there, right? The the worst thing that could happen is that the, the the markets turn into a mess and inflation is stubborn, and you got geopolitical risk. I mean, that could create a real vacuum for stocks, uh, which ultimately could be very negative for the economy. So I, I think that there's a little bit of politicking in there. You know, our view continues to be that rates are gonna are gonna hang up for longer. Yeah. Um and, and you know, look, historically speaking, you know, five, five and a quarter Fed funds rate when you've got, you know, three plus percent inflation, that's not crazy. That's pretty standard. Yeah. yeah. It's in line.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I would agree with you. So explain to the audience, because I know you and I kind of get deep into this stuff. Why the increase in the Fed funds rate, just interest rates in general, are, are not necessarily uh,
4: positive for equities, for stocks? Well, so number one is it increases the risk-free rate. All right, And so if you think about a company, what's the value of a company? Well, it's in classic finance terms what you learn in MBA school is it's the net present value of future cash flows, right? right? And so you end up having to discount the future cash flows of a business more heavily, which means that in today's terms the company is worth less. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: So um, uh just to kind of cut through that a little bit, all we're really talking about is just the the, the financial performance, essentially, yeah. the, f- the cash generated by the company uh, over a series of years, and you sort of bring that down to, well, what would that be worth today yep. is the way we're doing that. And that's how they – and that is a typical a formula used to just value companies, put and, a number on them.
4: And, and, and this is not a perfect analogy, but I think the simplest analogy that I <laughs> use with clients a lot is, you know, hey – uh... you know today mortgage rates are eight percent you know they used to be three percent can you afford as much house today at the higher interest rate No. well same thing goes you can't afford as much future earnings right uh... Yeah, for a company yeah.
2: Yeah. so uh... we we seem to have so much focus on this whole interest rate environment that seems to be top of investors minds and and I only say that because it seems to me kind of taking a back seat to that, are just technicals and fundamentals. How good is this company doing? Is it making money? Does it have a good strategy? Is it got a good positive future outlook?
4: Yeah, well, I think the the, the reason it's in such focus today is you know, if you go back to you know post financial crisis, let's call it 2010 up through you know 2021, the the bull market. Half of the gains in the S&P 500, approximately, came from actual earnings growth. That's real, right? Companies are making more money, therefore they are worth more. The other half of it came from valuations going up, just paying more for the same stuff. Yeah, And that is what's eroding as interest rates go up right now. Yeah,
2: and, and something that uh, I've been concerned about, honestly, is... Um, Uh, The amount of debt that's terming out, both in the private sector, corporate Mm -hmm. debt, um, where they've gone to the market, borrowed money, um, and then you've got banks who've got lots of U.S. treasuries and sometimes corporate debt on their balance sheets. And then you've got the federal government itself. I I saw the other day that the average interest rate on our outstanding debt is about 2.6%.
4: Oh, and it's and and pushing much higher. Yeah, right? and, I mean, and
2: much of that's coming due. It's got a role. We we don't have the money to go pay
4: it off. In, interest co- for the government, right? Interest costs as a percentage of the budget is is going to go through the roof. Um, and for companies, if you think about it, so I was looking at and this is not a buy or sell recommendation on the company, but I was looking at Verizon, and you know they've got debt that's coming due that was at 0.65% or 1.5%. Well, now they're going to have to refinance that debt at 6%. So that interest cost increase is going to be a hit to that company's earnings, and that's going to happen across the board. Yeah, so I'm looking
2: at it right now. As of August, average monthly interest rate on U.S. debt, Mm 2.92%. But trillions of the thirty three trillion we have due are terming out over the next year, which you got to be refinanced and they gotta go out and sell it for four and five percent.
4: Yeah, because the Fed wasn't able to go lock all of their all yeah, of their issues it's in thirty years, At right? A lot a lot of it was short term. There wasn't right. a demand for the thirty year. They had to issue it much shorter term. Right. You know, back in twenty eighteen we did a, a presentation and we showed that that. At the rate we were going, again, this is pre-COVID. At the rate we were going, uh, f- interest cost as a percentage of the federal budget was like eight yep. percent. If if the ten-year Treasury went to four percent, that in eight to ten years we were going to go to sixteen percent. So that's what's that's what's happening right now. That's why there's this this debt issue, this deficit, this two trillion dollars deficit mm. that we're running is a major issue. It's kind of coming and smacking us in the face right now.
2: Yeah, and so uh, just to put that in in dollar value terms, our interest on our debt this year is going to come in just under $700 billion. Mm -hmm. And uh, having to refinance a big portion of that, within two years, we'll hit the trillion-dollar mark. So just for the benefit of the audience, You said up to what, 14, 15%? 16%. 16%, yeah. Yeah. That's more than the military. So we'll be spending more on interest than we are the military.
4: Yeah. And so when you think about it, if you've got, you know, 60 plus percent that's going towards, you know, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, right, the entitlement programs. You've got military, and then you've got more than the military going to interest costs. There's not a lot of money left over for everything else. No doubt about it. And
2: that's why, where we are right now. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons that uh, the U.S. House is going to be casting a vote to elect a new speaker. They weren't happy with the way he handled that. Yeah, That's it, the core of
4: it. It is. It, it, it is. Um, this is this is not a new issue. This is something that's been going on for a long time, and yeah, you know, I remember back just in the initial quantitative easing days, right, two thousand and nine, ten, and and up through you know twenty twenty one. People would ask me, well, when is the debt gonna? Why why does the debt not matter? I'm like, it does. It it just doesn't matter till it matters. until it Smacks right. you in the face, and that's the point at which we're at right now.
2: Well, I think there's a there's kind of a I guess you could call it a misconception. That someday we're going to have to pay all this off. I I don't believe that that day will ever come that we will actually pay it off. But how we pay for it is in the form of inflation.
4: Well, inflation. That's you know that's why the Fed wants at least some inflation, right? Because you can you can inflate it away in in dollars yeah, over
2: time, right? Because you borrowed it ten years ago and you're paying it off now. and It's worth a lot less.
4: I, I think the misconception that the average person has is that the government has to pay it off. The government doesn't have to pay it off. That's right. it's, it's about the government's ability to service the debt, because yeah. the U.S. government is a perpetual entity. It's not like you or I, where, hey, one day we're going to be in the ground. And so we're going to have to settle up our debts at that point in time, right? <laughs> That's right, right yeah. Uh, the government will continue on. So what it's really about is the government being in a position to uh, to be able to service the debt.
2: We also can't apply quantitative easing to the management of our household finance. Yeah, <laughs> so we can't just we magically can't make money yeah, exactly. on our balance sheet. we got Jeremy Nelson uh, from Element Wealth in the Element Wealth studio. We're coming right back.
0: That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: My older brother Tommy was a lineman, rest his soul. His job was hanging hot wires on them high line power pole.
2: Every morning, bright and early, he climb way up in the sky, and I never We understood. are back in the Element Wealth studio. So we're visiting I with Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth, and on the C-SPIRE text line. Farm Bureau put out a report 10 years ago that said when we passed $33 trillion, that was a point of no return. Well, I, I, I guess uh, I'd have to understand what they mean by no return. Uh, we're certainly not even remotely close to reducing the debt balance. I mean, the first thing you got to do is balance the budget. Do that. As long as you're producing deficits, you're going to add to the debt.
4: Yeah, I think the point of no return means that it it fundamentally alters the budget of the government, and and you have to address it at that point in time. Yeah. Well,
2: that, that's that's true. And I, I think what bothers me, in uh, something we talked about on the program is we got the Fed that is uh, using the tools at its disposal to rein in inflation, m- mainly interest rates, the yeah. Fed funds rate. But it's in it's in direct competition with bad fiscal policy on the other side, from an inflation perspective, because they're not reining in spending. As long as they spend more than they take in, we got inflation.
4: Yeah, look, I, I, I sat on a call a few years ago with former chairman Ben Bernanke, and, you know, in polite words, he basically said... You know, monetary policy can only bail out bad fiscal policy for so long, and we're at we're at that point where we are now. now. Yeah, I mean, the writing was on the wall years ago, and we're just it's hitting us in the face right now.
2: No doubt. So, for the for the folks, monetary policy that refers to policies that come from the Federal Reserve. Fiscal policy that's from the federal government. So one one and really the Federal Reserve they got a, a a couple of tools. Uh, interest rates and what they call federal open market operations mm-hmm. right where they go out and buy and sell bonds yep. essentially so load up their balance sheet or right now they're unwinding that balance sheet so they're liquidating bonds and not replacing them best i can tell the no, balance sheet's shrinking
4: they they are they are shrinking the balance sheet right now that process started you know a, a while ago it's been happening all throughout you know 2022 now when the when the banking crisis hit in march of this february march of this year they had to kind of Unwind that a little bit yeah. to, to ease it up on the banks, yeah. but you know they're they're back to that balance sheet roll off.
2: Yeah, but uh, uh, Chairman Powell won't say anything about fiscal policy. He avoids that conversation Anytime the reporters ask him after he comes out and gives comments after the uh, the open market meets.
4: Yeah, look, ultimately the Fed is not supposed to be a – it's supposed to be a non-political entity. So, seldom, if ever, are you going to have the Federal Reserve speaking out against the government.
2: Yeah, and and he won't do it, but some historically have been a little bit more brave than others, right? Like Bernanke was.
4: Yeah, Bernanke made some comments, uh, Greenspan was a little more outspoken, Volcker for sure. Um, But it's it's very – we're so polarized in the country right now um, that I think that it's wise that the Federal Reserve just stick to doing their job. Yeah. Let let the voters sort it out.
2: So – you know, I, I know that a lot of your clients are folks that um, have, have been accumulating mm-hmm. money and, and uh, through their working years, and they're, they're retiring yep. right now. So they, they've got a nest egg, and they want uh, professional help mm-hmm. uh, to manage that, uh, that, that, um, those assets and invest it wisely. And I know you sit down with folks and, and uh, determine kind of what their goals are, what their needs are, and then you advise as well yep. um, in that regard. Uh, are you starting? And this is where I'm going with this. Are are you starting to see and hear about folks maybe delaying retirement a bit because of inflation, because maybe of the concern of the ability to generate income in retirement with their
4: assets? Well, so so one, the ability to generate income has gone up right gone as interest up. rates have gone up. Right, so, so that's right. a better proposition, and we've talked about that on the show before. Yes, absolutely you are seeing workers across the board. We see it more in our four hundred one K consulting business. You are seeing workers who are, are planning to work longer because the inflation is hitting them harder.
2: Yeah. I think folks are and they're seeing people living longer, which is a good thing. You know, we're we're living longer and um Medical science has certainly made that possible to a great extent. And they're thinking about, do I have enough money, you know, to last me?
4: Yeah, and people are also looking at, what can I do kind of as an encore career? So I was meeting with a a litigator today, and, you know, that's a a taxing job, but he started thinking about, well, at some point I could just slow down and do mediation. Yeah. Or, you know, people are taking on part-time jobs doing things. Now, number one, it's great because it keeps you, you busy, but also puts a little bit of money in the checking account.
2: Yeah, so the combination of their the retirement nest egg mm-hmm. income plus uh, maybe... Um, income that's not what they were accustomed mm-hmm. to, perhaps this individual is a litigator, but go do something else. It's, it still yep. supplements yep. their yep. income.
4: You don't have to necessarily make as much money and be saving, but if you can help offset some of your expenses with yeah. some income in retirement, that is becoming a, a very popular strategy. And look, okay. there's a massive labor shortage, so the opportunities are out there for people to, to kind of choose what they want to do. Yeah, there's no
2: doubt. I uh, Probably not a day goes by, I don't hear from just people I've I've known and met through the years. and. Um, across the country, honestly, say, hey, I got one this morning from a private equity group in California that said, hey, we're looking for uh, a chief revenue officer and a chief marketing officer at a company that was similar to mine. Mm -hmm. You got anybody – it's a portfolio company that (laughs) private equity firm owns. You got anybody in mine – And, of course, they don't tell you who it is and where they are, and I understand that. They're going to keep that confidential, but that's just an example.
4: Well, you're an example. You're a radio host now, right? I mean, you're hosting a radio show. That's That's a new thing. It wasn't necessarily on your roadmap. Never saw that coming. That's no no doubt about that.
2: What a a juxtaposition uh, that was from um, your hair on fire trying to run an IT business uh, every day. Artificial intelligence is uh, thought to be a shot in the arm. I think of uh, equities for sure. In Nvidia, I saw uh, somebody put a uh, a price target on that of doubling. It's crazy. It's it's like what three hundred fifty bucks, four hundred bucks a year right now. So, so so
4: what I look at is thirty-seven times sales, and you're talking about <laughs> doubling the price on that. That that seems a, a little aggressive to me. It does. I, I think that you know people are scared of AI. Right? Yeah. We've all seen movies like terminator and you know different things so we we have this idea that the robots are going to take over yeah. right now i think there are are some real risks to ai and you know you're even seeing the the zuckerbergs and the elon musks yeah. out there that are saying hey we've got to come up with some regulation around this so i i totally agree with that but ai ultimately in technology in general is the first thing that we've had in a long time that can actually significantly increase labor productivity. That's true. And if you think about it over the long term, labor productivity is the backbone of economic growth. Yeah, of wealth creation. Yeah. As a a worker, if I can produce more, I will make more money. If I make more money, I will consume more. Consumption is 68 percent of the economy, so if I consume more, the economy grows. So So, AI is not something to completely fear it, it is something that long term from an economic perspective is going to enable us to do more. It will eliminate jobs, but it will also create new jobs and I use the computer as an example, right The computer replaced a lot of jobs, but it also created a wh- whole new industry and, and right. a ton more jobs
2: yeah that that 's absolutely right. I totally agree i 'm on the same page uh, with you there, and I heard uh, so I just heard some reports this morning. Some analysts that are predicting uh, Nvidia to double, and what they're saying is, is that you know all the folks that um, uh, consume their chips. I mean, what they make just are, are have all these very grand, extravagant plans for AI, and they they need that hardware.
4: Yeah, I mean the the question there with with just. Hopping on one company is, you don't know what a Taiwan Semiconductor and AMD and Intel, yeah. all, there's a lot of different chips manufacturers out there That's that right. over time the, the gap between an NVIDIA and them in that space will close. That's right. And, they won't have the
2: dominant yeah. position and be um, and quite have the penetration of the market that they do today, the
4: market share. I, I so agree with y- you. Yahoo once had all the search. Right? That's absolutely, and now right. Google does. Yeah, so so you don't know what will happen. Again, that's why within a stock portfolio you diversify.
2: That's that's right, and and it's uh, you can hedge that yeah. position uh, for sure. But uh, this this it could be though something that has a lot of legs. Talking about AI specifically, much the way the build out of the internet did in the late nineties. I mean that powered the markets and made a lot of people a lot of money.
4: Oh, absolutely. There's the opportunity there. I think that it will ultimately help um, profits and productivity across multiple, many sectors. I don't think you only need to be focused on the companies that are producing. I it.
2: totally agree. There's a lot of other ways to participate yep. in the AI boom. You're yep. right. Than just investing in companies that make the products. Because
4: those companies have to make more money in order to buy that.
2: Type. That's absolutely right. Good good point. Yep. Jeremy, appreciate you coming All in. Right. Always enjoy. It.
4: Always. Thank Jeremy
2: you. Jeremy Nelson, partner
4: at Element Wealth, has been
2: our guest in the Element Wealth studio. We're coming right back. <laughs>
0: I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to Earth, third rock from the sun. She walks into smoky. One hip at a time Like a broken field runner Slipping through the line He likes the way she looks So he calls a little wife Says don't wait up for me I'll be working late tonight Wife hangs up the phone Burst into tears Calls her sister up and cries
2: Welcome back everyone It's middays We're in the Element Wealth Studio We thank you so much for uh, joining us today Yep, the general election in the state of Mississippi is slated for November the 7th. Brandon Presley said he will advocate for people who struggle to make ends meet. What does that mean exactly? What, I, every time I hear that coming out of politicians, i what do they mean? What does that mean exactly? It means if
1: you are experiencing the problems associated with Biden's economy, please vote for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, Pay I'm no like, attention to the fact that we're in the same party.
2: Right. Uh, have the same ideals. <laughs> that's. Uh, he seems to want to detach himself from that reality, but I don't think he's going to be able to do it. Someone asked uh, where the polls are. And there was a recent one, was there not, Rhino, that um, showed the governor up? I believe about eight points. Is the uh, is the number I recall? And that does that sound right to you?
1: Yeah, it's hovering between eight and eleven points. Yeah, that's what I thought.
2: Um, let's see, I'm looking at a Mississippi Today, Siena College poll. Fifty-two. To 41 with 6% undecided. This was from well, a couple of weeks ago, so that I think that's been fairly consistent since Presley entered the race, and that I think for the most part falls along party lines uh, as far as the way folks ad- identify themselves and <clears throat> party from a party affiliation perspective, though, keep in mind you're not required in the state of Mississippi to register to a party when you register to vote. Some states you do. We do not in Mississippi. Um, You're free to vote in in any primary, and if you do not vote in a primary, and that applies to the upcoming general election, even if you weren't registered and didn't vote in the primary, I think the date is passed I believe it was yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, if uh, you registered to vote, including by mail with a postmark of your voter of the envelope containing your voter registration form, because you can register by mail in Mississippi. It was postmarked yesterday. You're still eligible to vote in the general election, even though you may not have been registered and therefore did not vote in the primary. And you know in Mississippi, even if you, uh, if you don't vote in a party's primary, you still can vote in a runoff for a party, either party. If you vote in the primary... You could only vote in that party's runoff. I got all that right? That's correct. Okay. So just want to make sure the folks understood that. Uh, it's so- not quite
1: breaking news because it broke about 30 minutes ago, but I finally found confirmation from something other than just random Twitter accounts. Okay. The Republicans in the House have picked somebody. And? Steve Scalise is the nominee for House Speaker.
2: Wow. I've, I've noticed the reports on the screen here that they're... They're holed up voting. So, Steve Scalise, how about that? Selected him over Jim Jordan. I believe the, uh, the possible selections went before the conference today, if I'm not mistaken, to pitch why they should be. Right? I think that yep. happened. And this is what we got. Steve Scalise from the great state of Louisiana. Looks so, like
1: the votes were 113 for Scalise and 99
2: for Jim Jordan. All right, pretty close, honestly. So now it's got to go before the entire body. Surely all the Republicans will vote for the Republican. One would not think, me here, but Matt
1: Gates does love his camera time.
2: <laughs> You're right.
1: He may fundraise off of
2: voting for. A Democrat. Or who was,
1: it was Nancy Mace that was walking around with a shirt with a big red A on it, her <laughs> scarlet letter. That's
2: right.
1: Like, did you even read that book? <laughs> exactly. So I don't think that A means what you think it means there, Mace. I think that's right.
2: I um. Wow. Well, all right. So we might have a new Speaker of the Old House of Representatives. Uh, I'm assuming that Hakeem Jeffries. Will be the Democrat nominee because I mean he, right? Surely they're going to put somebody up. Oh yeah, to compete with Scalise, and then the whole body has to vote. This isn't going to be another fifteen-vote marathon, votathon, is it? Like it was for McCarthy. It all comes down to how much camera time
1: a small handful of Congress people want. <laughs>
2: So on the television in here, Steve Scalise is presently speaking to reporters. There he is, surrounded by reporters. I guess they're talking to him. I remember when he came um, to Jackson, spoke to the state uh, – state Repub- no, I uh, pardon me. It was a, um, a Madison County Republican banquet. I think, that, I think that's the case. Right over here um, at the Hilton. Find us. I attended. Saw him speak. He, he did a wonderful job speaking. Talking about Brandon Presley, I'm looking at this article here. October 6th. This was just published in the New York Times. Presley highlights medicating campaign to unseat Mississippi's GOP governor. Of course, the New York Times would be all over that. And um, they go on to say that 72% of likely voters in the state favor Medicaid expansion. I actually do think that is pretty accurate, and I do think that if we get a ballot initiative process reinstated, and that goes to uh, a measure goes to the ballot, which would enact Medicaid expansion, I do think it would pass. And and the reason I say that is because it would get. Broad support, almost unanimous support from uh, Democrats, and which means you don't have to peel off that many Republicans to get it over the over the threshold to enact. Um, now, my personal opinion is that the issues with health care in our state are much deeper and wider than just Medicaid expansion, and it's it is simply not accurate to say, "Oh, yeah, I just expand Medicaid." and all those problems go away, um, we're, we're seeing other states, which have expanded Medicaid, their health care industries are struggling as well. Uh, it's a much broader, complex problem than just that. Now, I, I do absolutely believe that if we could somehow achieve close to, if not full, universal coverage, where... Hospitals and and medical providers were not absorbing uninsured, uncompensated, really. Forget uninsured, because there are some people that aren't insured that do pay, out of pocket. That's a rare situation, and it depends on, of course, the amount. But if, if somehow all of these services could get reimbursed, because what happens now, folks, is that those of us who do have insurance and are paying, there's a component of that premium that covers those that don't. It, so it's, it doesn't come in the form of Medicaid expansion, but it, it comes in other forms. Not only that, our private commercial insurance premium, which reimburses higher than Medicare, which reimburses higher for the most part than Medicaid, it also covers those under-reimbursements. It's a, it's a complicated revenue model, perhaps the most complicated of any industry um, in the country, honestly. When you think about the multitude of of uh, prices for the same service, depending on who's paying. The payer mix, as they call that. Oh, yeah, what did the polls say about our governor election? That was on the C-SPIRE text line. Hopefully we we just got that. Covered. Dan in Hattiesburg says, "I'm tired of seeing the Republicans for Presley commercials." Yeah, that it gets a little grating on you after a while. I would agree, Dan.
1: That and their title feels a little oxymoronic.
2: Which? What's that? Oh,
1: Republicans oh, for gotcha. Presley. Yeah. I How agree. Republican are you if you're going to vote for a Democrat?
2: Yeah, I mean that. Um, I'm not a person that invokes the word "rhino," the term "rhino" very often. But that that pretty much epitome there? I would love to see a fat, fact checker panel at the debate, says Bubba in Starkville, when either candidate states a non-truth, a red light flash. And I hear you, Bubba, and I I get the, the call for that. The challenge is, when you're dealing with subjective issues, uh, it's virtually impossible to fact check. You could if you're dealing with objective issues like money, finance, numbers, that sort of data. Uh, other st- statistical measurements for sure. But when you're just playing in this sort of this subjective stuff, it becomes difficult to fact check. And that's where most of it comes from. Except with Joe Biden, pretty much every time he talks about numbers, he's wrong. <laughs> Even the Washington Post gives him the bottomless Pinocchio. <laughs> he lies so much about that. We are coming right back with a final segment on middays. We're in the Element Well studio.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbett. Come on,
1: let's get on with
0: the show on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. The great Stevie Wonder. We are back in the Element Well Studio. Before Rhino gives uh, some tickets away here, Curtis and Biloxi, uh, we're laughing about that. That's pretty good. He sent us, he sent us a, a little Photoshop meme. That's pretty cool. Uh, features uh, Matt Gates. And uh, two people, what's the movie? You said you recognize Yeah,
1: it's the uh, aliens from the movie This Island Earth.
2: (laughs) And they've got very similar hairstyles there. And the the quote, the Earthlings will never suspect we are aliens because they look like gates with that hair. That's pretty good. I like it. Go ahead. Give away some tickets.
1: All righty. The Township Blues Festival is going to be kicking off on Saturday, November 11th. It's going to hit the Colony Park in Redgeland with Cedric Burnside, Taz, and many others. Tickets are already on sale now at TownshipBlues.com. But now is your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Cedric Burnside and the others at the Township Blues Festival on November 11th. All you got to do is be the 17th person to text into to the C Spire text line. That's 601-879-4395. Be the 17th person to text in the word BLUES, and you'll win a pair of tickets to the Township Blues Festival on November
2: 11th. All righty. So I know that somebody earlier on the C-SPIRE text line I was looking for, and I couldn't find wanted to know, have we ever not had? When's the last time we didn't have a trillion-dollar deficit? And that's a really good question. And it was 2019. We were just under a trillion. And then 2018 was in the, like, 800 billion range. 2017, I think, was 750. So, I mean, we've been headed that way uh, for a long time, and it, it is something that it, it's kind of stunning you know, when you look at it, honestly, just uh, how much money we're spending and how big these deficits are that we are producing. And there's been some calls that have said, well, you know, if we just went back to the the spending levels of 2019 – that this problem would uh, not be where it is today, and that there's some truth to that, except even if we did that, running nearly a $2 trillion deficit, the we're talking about discretionary spending only, and uh, that was about $400 billion less than it is today, but we have a $2 trillion deficit, so you've got to find another $1.6 trillion. Well, why is that the case? when we only had a $950 billion deficit in 19, mandatory spending. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all the other government assistance programs and debt interest on autopilot don't get appropriated, don't get voted on, don't get touched by the Congress. They just keep going up, 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 up. That's why. So you can cut all you want on the other side and and need to, should, get rid of all the waste, the fraud, the abuse, the departments we don't need a lot of people think um, energy and education. Vivek Ramaswamy has called for that. He's even called for the end of the FBI, I think. But no doubt, need to put a knife to that, like a machete to it, not a knife, a pocket knife. But we still got to have a serious conversation about the mandatory spending. And they just won't. I know Matt Rose earlier on the ceasefire tax line said, let's just end Social Security. Well, well Matt... What do you mean by that? Would you tell all those receiving Social Security benefits, we're ending it? You don't get any more money? Because if you tell everybody that, say, enters the workforce or is working today, you're no longer Social Security, that means you don't have the money going into Social Security to pay the benefits to the people getting them out, which puts us even in a worse situation. So there's lots of other creative ideas that should be discussed, including raising the retirement age. And as soon as you say that, the Democrats say they want to end your Social Security just by raising the retirement age because people are living a lot longer. I read an article in The Economist over the weekend talking about people living to 120. 120. What are you going to do, retire at 65 and then stay around for another 55 years? Work? 40, and then retire for 55? How's that math going to work? Most estimate, futurists, medical scientists, people that pay attention to this sort of stuff, say that a child born today, on average, is going to live to be over 100, just because of advances in medical science and technology. Incredible. You keep talking about mandatory spending. You always mention Social Security. So what's your answer to those who have paid in for years and are about to retire, says David Monticello. Well, it's not about an answer. I'll tell you that I don't have the answer. I'm just explaining to you the math. I think a lot of smart people, I'd be happy to be part of such a group, have got to sit around a table for an extended period of time and start throwing ideas out. There are lots of sort of stuff. And so raise the age on those who are just about to hit retirement or drop it back to a certain age limit. This is Dave. So know what what I think makes sense when you're talking about raising the age is everybody that is within a certain number of years of hitting the present 65 or just over retirement age, maybe they're within 10, 15, 20 years, that stays in place. Everybody in the program getting benefits, no change. I'm not advocating for that whatsoever, but maybe people that are – 30 years away, maybe we raise their retirement age or phase it in. I think that's the kind of stuff. We're out of here today, back tomorrow. Stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk
0: Mississippi Media Production.